positive? Are you now saying that it tends to be a negative attitude? Seems to me that uh, this recent episode in Greensboro, for example, and the foot dragging that has taken place in the, uh, um, the uh, colleges and universities on desegregating their faculties and all things that the pace toward uh, integration has considerably slowed in recent years in Greensboro. In terms of foot dragging, there seems to be, there was the, what seemed to be the case in 1954, uh, for instance, the night after the Supreme Court decision, the, um, on motion by, uh, Superintendent of Schools Ben L. Smith and Chairman of the School Board D. E. Hudgen, a six to nothing resolution of the school board to attempt to honor the intent of the Brown decision and not attempt to thwart it. But that subsequently, things seemed to slow down a great deal. For instance, it was three years before any black child attended a public school in Greensboro. And at that, it was at uh, Gillespie, and um, the police had to come there, the, the Klan was there, uh, there was a great deal of uh, uh, ill feeling, potential for violence. Um, also, um, Josephine Boyd was the only uh, black school child to attend Greensboro Senior High School from 1957 until um, 1971, or in, in, in the 1960s, rather. Oh, if feeling was so positive, why was there this d delay? Well, the only um, thing that I could say on that was that there was, uh, and I guess I really should be saying this, documented, but there was in Greensboro a behind-the-scenes power structure that uh, kept some things from happening that would have I don't remember Bennett Bell's hiding any We had the kind of leadership that, that said to us in action and in words that whatever we did, as long as we did it right, was fine. And so I don't remember when you asked question about what kind of room, I don't remember what kind of room we were in. I just know we were there to do a job. And we did that job. All I can say, everyone in here has a responsibility. Reach back. Go to our younger kids. We know the crime that's going on in Greensboro. You have something to give. God gave us gifts. Use those gifts. I don't care how old you are. I tell people, I'm not old. I'm just seasoned. <laughs> so, you're not old. You're just seasoned. And you can still reach back and help Go back into those classrooms. That's where we need you because we're going to have to start down here. Not sixth grade, but kindergarten yes. because it's a different age now. It's a different year.
And we have a responsibility. If we don't do this, we have lost our responsibilities. That was the voice of Betty Jo Wilson, a Bennett College alum who participated in the sit-in movements of 1960. And before that, we heard from Yvonne Johnson, the first African-American mayor for the city of Greensboro, but also a graduate of Bennett College, who participated mightily and heavily, along with others, in the 1960s for the sit-in movements and other subsequent movements in 1961 and 1963. And then the very first voice you heard was that of Dr. Willa Beatrice Player. Some that knew her called her DP or Dr. Player. She was an American educator, a college administrator, college president, civil rights activist, federal appointee, and uh, the first African-American woman to become president of a four-year fully accredited liberal arts college when she took the position as president of Bennett College right here in Greensboro, North Carolina. And she served as president from the years 1955 to 1966. You're going to hear her name quite a bit as many attribute their success and their motivation and the leadership of Dr. Player during those turbulent and troublesome times. We sat down with many individuals in a live recorded session of History Notes, teamed up with our friends over at Triad Stage for a play they have coming called Rebellious, a fictional play about four Bennett Bells during the sit-in movement. And so we thought it'd be a good idea to get some actual Bennett Bells that participated in the sit-in movement, along with one they call the Mail Bell, the historian, the one that Reverend Jesse Jackson calls the architect of those major movements here in Greensboro in 1960, 1961, and 1963, among other things. But Lewis Brandon, uh, who was the mastermind, uh, a lot of folks say. And so um, a lot of the Bennett Bells that were there call them affectionately the Mel Bell. So we sat down with them uh, for this live recorded session of History Notes entitled Bells of History. And I'm going to let these wonderful people, these icons in civil rights history, um, introduce themselves and just sit back and enjoy this History Notes podcast with Bells of History. I'm Rodney Dawson, and please enjoy this. I'm Yvonne Jeffries Johnson, class of 64 Bennett College. You know, we all have our past, and I just feel so blessed that I was at Bennett College in the 60s when the movement started. Somebody once asked me, well, how did you make up your mind to be in the movement? When you have experienced colored and white bathrooms, when you experience colored and white water fountains, when you experience colored and white waiting rooms at the bus station, at the train station, there was no, I didn't have to think. I just knew this is the right time to do what I could do to make the changes that need to be made. So I'm just blessed to have been there, blessed to have been able to be a part of it, and blessed to have had Dr. Willoughby Player who once got up in chapel, once we were arrested, and many of us out at the old polio hospital. I'm going to tell you, we could have just jumped out the window going on where we wanted to go, but we didn't. We just kept the sheriff's department up all night. Um, but I remember her getting up in chapel and saying, if I have to hand out degrees in jail, I will. What a leadership what, what, what leadership that was for me, what message that sent to our students. So I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy that finally we get to voice 
how important Bennett College was in this movement. Yes, I'm Betty Jo Wilson, Betty Jo Foster Wilson. Uh, I am so glad to be on this panel today. And I'm so happy that I was an activist in 1961, 62, 63, 64, 65. And my granddaughter just went to Southern University in Baton Rouge, and she called me last week and she said, Nana, I'm going to be an activist just like you. She said, don't be surprised if you see that I have been arrested. I'm working with the NAACP. So I said, that's awesome. That's awesome. So with this, by me being invented and the experiences that I have had, it has gone down to my son, my children, my grandchildren, and they are, and even the children that I teach. I tell them, I was in chapter one. You're going to have to do chapter two, three, four, and five. And we're going to have to continue this. So this is one thing that I really feel, and I thank Dr. Player for letting us be able to go and participate. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm Rosalind Smith McLean, class of 1961, and my class is the only and the largest class that has contributed most to Bennett financially. I want everybody to know that. <laughs> product of Princeton, West Virginia, which is a very small town, uh, a segregated town, and I came to Bennett based on my brother's girlfriend having been a student at Bennett. I wanted to go away to college. I had two other siblings in college at Bluefield State College. Bennett was the life changer for me. It has affected my life then, it does now, and I foresee it doing it in the future. With a leader like Dr. Willoughby Blair, nothing could top it. She was stern, she was fruitful, she was helpful, she was engaging, even though sometimes we thought she was a little stuffy. <laughs> but one of the things that she imparted to us was, while we were at Bennett, we were not going to be taught what to think but how to think. And that is so important, especially for the young people who are in the audience. Be able to use your own mind and your own brain. Don't let people tell you anything. Because nowadays, with TikTok and all that other stuff, uh, it's a little unnerving even to me as an older person. And I sometimes feel for you all, we're going to have to do better by you. Um, I was a secretary of the student senate at Bennett. I was secretary of the forming committee for the sit-ins, and I was a member of the NAACP, of which Dr. Edwin Edmonds, who was a faculty member at Bennett, was the president of that branch. And we were so fortunate to have the input of all of the citizens of Greensboro, and especially major people like um, Mr. Chavis, for whom the library is named, uh, Attorney Lee, and others who were there right there with us. They were prepared to counsel us. They were there to provide the bail money. 
and I was a participant. I picketed. I was never arrested. <laughs> I like to mention that we did have some faculty members, Dr. Leisner, yes, and Dr. Macmillan, yes, and we had several um, faculty members that were very, very close to us and that helped us. Yeah. Uh, good afternoon. I'm Lewis Brandon. Um, I came to Greensboro in 1957 to attend. Uh, I came to a city called A&T. <laughs> uh, I'm a product of racial segregation. So I never went to an all-white high school. Uh, I never had any white teachers. Well, I had one at A&T who taught me art. And his name was Mr. White. <laughs> so when we, when that was an event, a statewide event, uh, if you were an honor student, if you were an athlete, uh, athlete uh, you came to a place called A&T. You didn't come to Greensboro. Okay. And I didn't really make the connection until I was buying my bus ticket to come and it said Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, but I came to A&T. Now A&T uh, was in Greensboro, but it wasn't of Greensboro. We were on the east side of town segregated, and we had all of our needs met by what then was called A&T College, now A&T uh, State University. We did our own milk, ice cream, we had florists, shoe repair, television repair, auto repair, all of those things was done there on campus. So we really didn't have to come downtown. Uh, very seldom did we come down here. But when we did come, we had to face uh, the law of segregation. Yeah. Um, so I came, I, I was in the class of 61, and I uh, stayed around and was a part of the, all of the major demonstrations that took place in Greensboro. Uh, people have mentioned Dr. Leisner, and they have mentioned uh, Dr. Claire. We call her DP. Uh, I have a description of Dr. Player's, a written description of Dr. Player's visit to the polio hospital when the students were incarcerated there. And Dr. Leisner is introducing her. We, she was the, Dr. Player was the core woman of the year in 1964. And so I remember when she made that trip but I also remember because after that visit to the polio hospital, uh, our, the core headquarters was at the Church of the Redeemer on uh, uh, East, well, East Market Street. It's now Friendly Avenue. But I remember we were in the kitchen and we could smell gas from the, uh, the, the stoves there. But in comp and in people like Mrs. Feast and some other ladies were making sandwiches to care to the students at, at the polio hospital. And in walks this woman in a loose serge suit, you know, with her handbag and a pillbox hat. And she sat down in the chair, and she didn't do this. She did it the bended way. You cross at the ankles. <laughs> and she just wanted us to know I have been down to visit the girls. And they are doing great. So yeah, so Dr. Player needs to be 
uh, I don't know, we need to erect something in the city that recognizes her and the work that she's done. Uh, we talk about A.G. and Bennett. Well, we can't talk, we can't leave the, the high school out there. And we Okay, because it, at the end of the uh, spring, it was the Dudley students who picked up the yes. movement, right? Yes. And you see, you see them, uh, Betty Joe, Yvonne, Bill Thomas, Anthony Thomas, but they also, the, those uh, young ladies graduating from Dudley became Bennett Bells. Amen. You know, and Anthony Clark wanted to be here. Her, she's Anthony Clark or Thomas. Um, so she was the sister to, uh, the, I don't know the younger brother's name, but Bill, Bill, Bill Thomas. Bill. Thomas. And then what was the younger one? The other brother? Alvin. Alvin. Okay. I would like to inject right here that when uh, Auntie left, Bill Thomas took over, which is Anthony's brother. And during that time, we, 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 we kept it going. We kept it going until A&T students got back. And I must say that Anthonette's uh, family that lived on Market Street, that family took care of the Freedom Riders that came through here. They came, took care of James Farmer. She took care of everybody. They cooked that whole family, Yvonne. All of them are gone, but I don't want them to be not known. Because Anthonette Thomas is the only one that's left in her family. And she has a lot of information. And I know Lewis does too. So he can tell you about that. Let me uh, stay with you for a second. You're from Greensboro. Yes. Here. Tell me what it was like. I've often wondered myself, what was it like living in Greensboro prior to the demonstrations and the protests in the early 60s? In other words, was the community, my mom who protested often tells me how it was, um, and I've often read that less than 25% of African Americans actually participated in civil rights activities. So what was it like living here, dealing with segregation? Was it pretty much accepted, or what was the feeling? Well, I must say that, as I remember as a little girl, I used to come downtown, and we would go to Woolworths. And I would want some of those hot dogs, those people be sitting over there eating, and my mom said, you can't have that. We can't even go over there. So, but we could buy a hot dog that was in the middle. And then I would walk on down and there was uh, Woolworths, presses, go in there. Certain things we couldn't do. Even there was a store, forgot the name of the store, but they moved out there by S&W. We couldn't even put on their clothes and try their clothes on. Martellos. And I said, you know what? This is not right. And everywhere we would go, we had to sit at the back of the bus. So don't ask me to go in a restaurant now and sit in the back. No. I even went to have a manicure. And the lady took me in the back. I said, no, I don't sit in the back anymore. <laughs> so my family know that I don't sit in the back because we sat in the back too long. And I'm not going to sit in the back because he worked as a chauffeur for a Caucasian family. And he didn't want me to participate. But I disobeyed. And I'm so glad I disobeyed. But I did get punished. Even though I went to jail, he did not let me go see Dr. Martin Luther King's speech. I have a dream. 
So I'll always remember that. But Greensboro was, it was something. It was going down in um, Myers in a black, white place. It had things all on the wall. It was drinking from that white, black, colored fountain in Woolworths. So those are things that I remember. And those are things that I cannot erase during these 79 years. And so we still have a long ways to go, but we have come a long ways. I got questions, but y'all jump in as you see fit. Uh, anybody want to chime in? What was it like for you, Rosalind Smith? I didn't grow up here. On campus, why you here going to school? Oh, well, when I was a student, because my mother had four uh, children in college at the same time, her resources were limited, so it meant that most times I did not have to go downtown because she and my oldest sister made sure that I was mailed the necessary things that I did need. But I did go down every now and then just to accompany other uh, male sisters. So, um, But I did grow up in a segregated town, a little town. But we did not have to get off the sidewalk when white people passed. Um, we, we, one time, I lived in the country of Princeton, West Virginia. So we went to town on Saturdays. Um, one time I was on my way to meet my mother and we passed this house and this little white boy ran out and said, nigga, nigga, nigga. My younger sister was with me. She's two years younger than I. And I ran up on that porch <laughs> and I said, who are you talking to? <laughs> And my sister was so afraid. She said, come on, come on, come on. I said, no. I said, I'll go in the house. You better go in the house and mind your business. Mother came out. And she said, what's going on? I said, you better mind your child some manners. And uh, my sister and I left. I was very shy, but I also knew to have to speak up. But, and I learned that in life, and it was really exaggerated once I got to bed because we could speak our minds as long as we were respectful, which was something you couldn't do with your parents. <laughs> you could not talk back even if it was respectful. So I learned how to speak up, and I moved to New York after I graduated from Bennett. I'm a retired social worker with the Department of Social Services of 32 years. So I've seen a little bit of everything. So I know if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. I too grew up right here in Greensboro, and it was like if you were of color, if you were black, African-American, back then they said colored Negro, you were in a box. <laughs> and um, you were always restricted in some way. Um, when Betty Jo spoke about Montaldo's, I remember my aunt taking me to get a prom dress and we had to go in the back door and we could not try it on. Um, I re when you talked about the bus, my mother rode the bus. Uh, at that time, I guess it was common to go pay your bills in person. And I went with her and her friend, Miss McBroom, who was a great mentor for me. And sort of the unwritten rule was, if, there, if the back of the bus was filled, if there was a seat up, up in the front, you could sit there. 
So there was that sad seat, and there was one white man sitting on it. And there was one, I asked my mother, do you want to sit? No. I asked Miss Beckroom, no. She, Miss Beckroom said, you sit down. And as soon as I got ready to sit, he stuck his foot up in the um, seat. Now, back then, my mother and Miss McGroom always traveled with an umbrella. <laughs> Miss McGroom cracked that umbrella down on his leg. I was petrified. I just knew something terrible was going to happen. He moved his leg, and she looked at me, and she said, now you sit down. And I sat down because I was scared that she <laughs> But I, I can remember my first years on council and we would be going somewhere in the band and I would say, I'm not sitting in the back. I can tell you all that right now. So they always saved me the front seat, which was just fine with me. Because that experience, that having to go through that, knowing in your heart that that was wrong, just... It, it, it made me, it, I got to the point, I just wasn't going to tolerate it at any point. This point, in recent years, and I certainly worked hard in the civil rights movement to make sure that was one of the things we abolished. One of my questions was going to be what kind of prompted you, was it an incident or a person? I guess we can work it in as we talk throughout, but uh, Mr. Brandon, Mr. Lewis Brandon, um, there were three, I'm going to say three, I'm Ignorant, so I may not know of any more, but there were three main protests, 60, 61, and 63, and which you were involved in all of them. Can you talk a little bit about that for, for those that are not aware? Yeah, you, uh, uh, when you talk to people, they, well, they say, well, I got arrested, you know, and you generally are talking about the 62, 63 demonstrations. So then in February 1, 1960, that was the sit-in at Wilford. Uh, and that was basically uh, college students, ENT and, uh, and Bennett. I know people tried to, to say that uh, UNCG was involved, but they weren't. Uh, two students came on the fourth day, uh, and uh, the chancellor called a student body meeting at UNCG, threatened to expel all of the students. And you can go to the newspaper, and you can read his whole speech uh, the, the, the news and record uh, praised him for his action, even the government did. So, but it was basically Dudley and 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 then then uh, I mean on Bennett, and then Dudley later on. There were forty-five students arrested in nineteen sixty. For uh, thirteen of them were Bennett students, and the two two white students that were seen often at the demonstration were students at Bennett, Mary Gunda and Jean, Jean yeah. F. Yeah. So that was 1960. And of course, Woolworth opened his counters in July, uh, latter part of July. In, 19, in January of 1961, five of us went to Tate Street to the movie theater over there. Uh, Pearl Bailey was playing uh, Dolly uh, in, in a movie. And Courtney and Best. The one he offered. I'm sorry. Of the four movie theaters, one across the street, Cinema and uh, Cinema on Tate Street, they would not allow uh, black patrons to come in. So we we began picking them on that side. Bill Thomas, myself, 
and uh, Robert Patterson, Pat Patterson, who lives in Greensboro, who's one of the leaders in the movement. Uh, we were those five of us who went over. Uh, and so that sparked the demonstration at, at the theater. We soon moved downtown to Carolina Theater, to the National Theater down the street, and to the sit across the street. And that kind of fizzled out uh, at the end of, of the school term. Then in 19, the summer of 1962, there was a group of us took a bus ride, a bus trip to Chapel Hill to Highway 501. There was uh, the Howard Johnsons. Uh, the sit-ins had already, I mean, the uh, freedom rides had already occurred. And so, so Cole was testing facilities along the Eastern Seaboard. And Howard Johnson and um, the hot shops, I don't know if people know what about the hot shops. Yeah. Uh, so we were demonstrating and so we came back to Greensboro and we organized a cold chapter in July of 62 uh, over at HTL YMC and we began. And so when the students got back to school uh, in, the, in the fall, we began to meet on a regular basis uh, using Providence, the old Providence Baptist Church uh, basement uh, and also uh, Hayes Taylor, and in uh, the Thanksgiving day, uh, 60 of us got arrested uh, for picket, uh, for demonstrating at the SW Cafeteria, which is around the corner uh, on uh, East Market Street and uh, what was the other place down the street, uh, Mayflower. Yeah, so those are three, the three distinct Movement is going after Thank you. I just wanted to um, add that in Bennett's history of social justice, in the 30s, Bennett students picketed the Carolina Theater for the convenient roles that Black people were in. And that's just an example. I think you said it. Dr. Claire didn't teach us what to think, she taught us how to think. She promoted us learning how to think for ourselves. And so, if, even back in the 30s, Bennett was out there um, demonstrating and picketing against what was wrong racially. And it also led, uh, led uh, tremendous efforts in voting, voter education, voter registration. It right. started yes. uh, way back in, in the 50s when I came to the if you go to our uh, website, uh, we posted a, uh, I'm not sure if it's on, if we go to our social media uh, post, there's a post about one of the drives that were done by uh, Bennett Bell, and it was 1937, Dr. Francis Bonner Jones, or Francis Jones, Jones Bonner. And she's Francis. the daughter of the president. And she was the daughter of the president. That was poor Alex Invest. Was that the poor Invest when she protested? See, I told you I was wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're listening to a live on-site recording of History Notes. I'm your host, Rodney Dawson, live on-site at Triad Stage. We're invited over by our friends at Triad Stage, including the executive director, Mitchell Summers. They had this had this play coming. At the time of the recording, the play hadn't arrived yet. The play is entitled Rebellious. It's a fictional play about four Bennett Bells who participated in the sit-in movements uh, during the 1960s. So we decided together... Uh, some of the existing former Bennett Bells who were actual students uh, between 1960 and 1965 and participated in the most well-known sit-in, the February 1, 1960 sit-in with the ANT4. And then there was a protest of the theater 
1961 and then 1962 to 63 was the largest demonstrations. Uh, I'm hearing numbers of anywhere between 3,000 and 3,500 people. Many were arrested and um, so many were jailed. They ran out of room and had to put them in the old uh, polio hospital. But we found, uh, reached out to some Bennett Bells that we knew that were students there. And we are speaking to uh, Betty Jo Wilson, also former mayor and current city councilwoman Yvonne Johnson, as well as Rosalind Smith. And then the one they call the Mail Bell, he actually went to A&T, Lewis Brandon, and many call him the architect of the sit-in movement. So we gathered them together and they're having this wonderful conversation. And I should mention there were two that could not make it, but definitely lent their love and support. That was Elsie uh, Jacobs Johnson, who gave us much information, just couldn't be there. And Anthonette uh, Thomas Clark, whose family was instrumental. Um, her brother, William Bill Thomas, uh, headed up the core chapter. I think he's a founding member of the local core chapter at the time and uh, also helped bring in the Lincoln Junior High and, and Dudley High School students and then their younger brother Alvin Thomas and then their parents that you heard them talk about supported uh, from the get-go. They uh, cooked food, they housed them, the Freedom Riders that came through as well as those that demonstrated in the 1960s. So we're learning a lot, fascinating conversation, so glad we have an opportunity to do this and it was just fun actually going into that beautiful spot, renovated spot, triad stage. Shamefully, I hadn't been there um, until this happened, but I'm going to return many a time now. Beautiful facility, downtown Greensboro. And uh, so we left off talking about how Bennett was important and instrumental in pushing the vote. And one of the questions I want to ask them when we return is something that my mom used to talk about when she protested in the 60s as a student from Winston-Salem State. She actually went down to Atlanta and marched with Dr. King, but she talked about how um, they had to be a little bit secretive or stealth-like, and I want to put that question to the panel here. So when we return, uh, we'll ask that. So come back after the break. It's History Notes. How do you take the history in a place like this, famous for all of the learning tools of yesteryear? Then connect the generations together including the diverse and digital learners of today. The Greensboro History Museum Education Webinar Series. Engage, learning, and beyond. Let's go. All right, and uh, you know, I always oh, never asked you this question uh, before in one-on-one -on -one conversation, so I guess I'll ask you with a mic in front of me. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Well, it's interesting. You made, you mentioned Lewis Brandon. He and I are from the same hometown, Asheville, North Carolina. And we both came to Greensboro for the purpose of going to North Carolina A&T. I must admit that uh, Mr. Brandon's a little ahead of me in my time. I did not know him until I got here and actually did not realize uh, how knowledgeable he was of Greensboro to after I graduated from college. And he actually started working in my current position, I got to know more about Lewis Brandon, but he is a phenomenon himself, great history. That's the voice of Max Sims, head of the East Market Street Development Corporation. We're working on a podcast on the history of East Greensboro. But for now, let's rejoin Betty Jo Wilson, Yvonne Johnson, Rosalind Smith, and Lewis Brandon as we discuss the bells of history the Bennett Bells, and the 1960s civil rights demonstrations. I would just like to add that um, there was a period at Bennett 
where the students did a project called Operation Door Knock. And that was an introduction to us to become involved. We, <clears throat> we visited the homes in precinct number one, which is in the east part of this city. And we went into homes to register families and individuals. And even some of us even babysat for those persons who needed to go and vote. That was a beginning of our introduction to becoming involved. So that just, when the cities began to occur in the early 60s, we were already ready. Maybe the next place should be Benny Bells or Voting Bells. Benny Bells or Voting Bells. Speaking of places, rebellious that starts on October 4th. Get your tickets. Got the cast over there. You know, they can't be in here because there's too many of us. But we will hear from one of the set designers later on. But I was on the way over here. I picked up Miss Wilson. And she was remembering different spots. She was like, yeah, I got arrested there. And we drive over there. I got arrested over there. I was like, you got to point out all these places where you went to jail. And uh, But um, I was talking to my mother, who wanted to be here, but she couldn't. But my mother graduated from Winston State in 1965. And she participated and demonstrated as well. And she had to forge paperwork to go in March with Dr. Martin Luther King. And uh, she was telling me how they had to hide it from everyone. She, they were reluctant to tell their administration um, because they were looking for paperwork. They would send it to uh, Dr. King's organization, and if you didn't have it signed, you couldn't participate because the school was responsible for you, for your safety. So she forged this paperwork, and she would hide whenever a camera would come around, a news camera, and she would hide so her parents wouldn't see her because they worked for white employers and knew they could lose their job or they would face some type of uh, retribution for her participating. So it led me to believe what kind of climate was it. So anybody can jump in here, but how secretive was it when you were meeting? And whom did you have to hide it from? And were the administrators, Dr. Gibbs at T, at NT, or Dr. Player, were they involved from the beginning? And if so, why not? I don't remember Bennett Bell's hiding anything. No. <laughs> we had the kind of leadership that, that said to us, in action and in words, that whatever we did, as long as we did it right, was fine. And so I don't remember, when you ask the question about what kind of room, I don't remember what kind of room we were in. I just know we were there to do a job, and we did that job. And I, I, I know I'm, I'm going back to 63, but I do want you to know that in 1963, um, that is when uh, Dudley's uh, high school students were taking um, the lead that summer because many of us were gone. And that's when many of the adults in the black community got involved and sat down in the street. My aunt was one of them and she taught. And I was in Maryland working and that's how I got to go to um, the uh, march um, and hear the speech. But um, I know they sat down all in the street and blocked the streets and um, I thought you were going to mention that, Lewis, but I guess you depend on me for something. <laughs> when Lewis was talking about um, meeting at Providence, 
I, I think Providence ought to give a hand for Providence too because they took a great leadership in this also. I remember we were in core and the strategies were given to us what we were to do and it was really non-violence, non-violence. And we would walk, leave coming down Market Street from Providence in a single or double line coming all the way down Elm Street, marching, going, you may not know anything about Hamburger Square, but when we got to Hamburger Square, one man said, I didn't know there was that many niggas in Greensboro. Uh, so, you know, I have to bring that out to know that we've come a long ways. Uh, but we were very, very quiet, sang songs, and the best song that I can still sing is We Shall Overcome. And when I sing that song, tears come down my eyes because we have overcome something, but we still need to overcome. So that's my favorite song. Well, I just want to add, <coughs> uh, during the February preparation, we had a student government president who was a native of New York, Gloria Brown. Yes. We had a Dr. Hatchett, a professor of philosophy and religion, and Dr. Edwin Edmonds, who was a sociology professor, who were the catalyst in getting us to understand that we needed to demonstrate. So we established a committee, and that committee met every night in the second floor of the student union. We did not have any conflicts among ourselves, because we knew we had a job to do and we had to remain focused. When we decided that we needed to tell Dr. Player what we wanted to do, that was a different issue. So we got the student government president to visit her. When she came back, we were shocked that she said, oh, everything was going to be okay. But we knew we had to know what we were doing we could not start that demonstrating because we would be going home for the Christmas holidays and that would create a lull in the picketing. So we had to wait until we came back for Christmas to pick it up. But that is to show that Dr. Player was behind us from the very beginning once we told her what we wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Props to the four, the AMG four, for starting a movement. But the second day, the third day, the fourth day, students from both campuses came together uh, in, a, in a unified effort. And so Gloria Brown uh, from Bennett and Edward Pitt from AMG became the co-chairs of the Student Executive Committee for Justice. And that's that was the that was the group that moved the movement in Greensboro in, in 1960. Uh, you know, people talk about the four, but you got to talk about all of the hundreds of students of AT and Bennett who put who picked up this movement and pushed it forward, and including Dudley. Yeah. And one of the other things that was very important, we learned how to pick it. We had signs made. We had to know what hours we were going to picket. 
for the Bennett women, we were also to make sure that the A&T fellas were always available and around. Uh, we had those rules. They were not to be violated at all. Uh, you had to dress properly. At Bennett, <laughs> back in the day, you had to sign out for everything. So <laughs> you had to sign out that you were going downtown to pick it. And that was important because if anything jumped off, we needed to know what everyone was. You're speaking of dress. Let me intervene right quick. Sarah, where are you? I'm right over here. Hey, Sarah. Right. You said, how you doing, everybody? This is Sarah. Sarah, tell me your last name. I'm Sarah Hankins, the artistic director of Triad And we have the costume designer here, right? Yes, we do. Mr. Gregory Horton. Mr. Gregory. Donna Bradley. Donna. Really quick. Gregory. How, how important, as you come up, you can grab my mic. Uh, but how important, how did you match up the costume to be as realistic and match up what was worn in 1960? What was that process like? Here, take this. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Greg Horton, and um, I teach at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. I'm the resident costume designer there. And um, in answer to your question, I, I was around in 1963, too, but I was just in my mom's stomach. <laughs> and, and she mentioned that she um, traveled to Greensboro to walk with the men bells and everybody else. Although my mom wasn't in college then, um, she was a domestic, and she was a domestic from 63 to around 70, 1970, and then she went to school to be a nurse. Um, and so um, it was, it's very interesting that you talk about the clothing, and I put a couple of, of dresses up so that you can see, but these are actually replicas. What's great about this period is there's still clothing around all over the place, and Greensboro is a wonderful place to shop, and I do like to shop. And so I can spend somebody else's money. It's great when you want to spend somebody else's money. But, but um, so there are stores, local stores, that still have actual garments that reflect the period. But one of the greatest things I was telling um, Ms. Yvonne was I went to the library at Bennett to do some research. And of course, the librarian was very helpful. And we pulled out all the stacks and stacks and stacks of books and magazines so that I could see photos and pictures. While I remember some of the things my mom wore, um, she probably wouldn't have worn the same kinds of things just because she wasn't in college. But the college, the Bennettvilles had a very, and you know, uh, this gentleman said earlier when they sat down and they said the Bennett ladies crossed it, and you could see pictures and photos of them very distinctly <laughs> sitting. And they had their, you know, they left campus, you had to have your hat, your gloves, and um, the player didn't play about that because there was another player I think we did, and um, one of her statements was, Young lady, why are you on the street not dressed properly? She didn't have on her stockings. You have to wear your stockings and all those things. And that was really important. So I drive that really hard when I'm talking to our cast members, especially people who 
um, are not older because they have no sense. They don't know that women wore slips, they wore girdles, they wore they wore the proper bra, they wore all those proper things. And so when we do a show, I try very hard to stay as close to it as possible. So that when they're walking, they understand why they have to have the slip on. When you sit down, there's a certain way you sit, you don't just gap your legs or those kind of things. So like I said, these pieces are replicas, um, meaning that they were made over to, to loop the period, and they were in a store hanging on a, on a in fact, this dress was, um, one of my favorite stores is called um, Hannah's Bridge. That's a good store, okay? The Bargain Box is a good store. And one of the best, the best, best Goodwills in the city is actually on Elm Street. So if you do this kind of stuff, you know. But um, also, um, this summer, I did a summer project in Davidson, North Carolina. And I thought, um, Sarah didn't know, but I was buying stuff this summer because I knew that I didn't want to get too close to the show and not have the things we needed. And um, so major... Um, a lot of times you have to know visually what you're looking for, but the but the the fashions from that period are so distinctive. Like they're distinctive from 1940s, they're distinctive from 1920s, they're distinctive from any other period. Um, and so when you're a person like me, who fashion is your life, um, costume is your life, then you really know what you're looking for, and you just have to know what you're looking for. But it was all there. Thank you. I would like to give props to um, our our um, uh, director, Ms. Donna B. Bradley, because she um, invited me to be a part of this project. But I also like to um, our playwright. We couldn't have done it without the playwright's words, and this man was so distinctive. Like I think he talked to several people. He had to because some of the stories that you were sharing were very parallel to what's in this play. Thank you. Open up, Dr. I just want to say um, we've talked about um, Bill Thompson. Bill was like a brother to uh, me. I grew up with him through high school, and he was so vigilant about coming to Bennett and really sharing with the students why they should be involved. Most of them he didn't have to do that, but there were some, and he did that, and he got them involved. And I just can't toot or shout out his name enough. Yes. Um, when this movement was over, he couldn't get a job because they knew he had been involved. And my husband and I were in New, uh, Newburgh, New York. We invited him to come stay with us. And he went to law school and uh, got him a job and so forth. But he was a great, great man and a great example for many, many of us. And I also want to say we can't leave George Simpkins out either because he did so much. Integrating the schools, the golf courses, and bailing people out of jail that were arrested. So I, I did want to say that. Yvonne, uh, Lewis, I don't think we can leave out the person who worked work behind the scene, Ralph John. We have jobs. We have the uh, clothing store. Yes. yes. I just also want to highlight uh, we recently lost uh, Dr. Professor James McMillan at Bennett College. Yes. He was 96 years old. He was a very pivotal uh, person in our, um, uh, our endeavors to conduct the sit ins. He and uh, we mentioned a Dr. 
I think her first name was Beatrice Lazner. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Right. They were two Bennett faculty people's people who were very instrumental in supporting us. And um, we had like our Dr. George Bethan, who was a history professor at Bennett, who um, it was a history student major, sociology majors, psychology majors, who initially became involved in the sit-ins. Speaking of that, and I'm gonna tell you about Dr. Simpkins later on, we are working on a documentary about him. Went to DC this summer and interviewed his uh, son called 450 and Change. If you go on the internet, 450andchange.com, you'll see the trailer and it's gonna say 10 off in 2021. That was before COVID hit, we thought we'd be done. Uh, but we're not, but it's coming. And he was a great man. When I told my wife about him, she dropped a tear. Because I went, I went proud of Beaufort County Schools, and I didn't learn anything until we started working on this documentary. But he was a part of a case that integrated hospitals nationwide. My wife was a midwife, and she immediately thought, I could not do what I do now if it weren't for him and those like him, Dr. Blunt and some others. Um, but anyway, be on the lookout for that, because there were so many. And Ralph Johns was the vice president of NAACP. Dr. Simkins ran the NAACP from 59 to 1984. And just a lot that he did that was marginalized. But um, speaking of the sit-ins, when you were out there like the day before and you know you're about to go out and protest the next day, what's running through your mind? Were you worried about repercussions? And this for anyone. Let me start with uh, Ms. Johnson here, Mrs. Johnson. What's going through your mind? Were you worried about repercussions you know, from family, for your family and for yourself? Maybe a little, but not much. Um, I would be thinking about um, what we were taught in, in reference to nonviolence, mm -hmm. because I knew we were going to get heckled. I knew we were going to get called names, and and we did. And I remember uh, March. We were marching. We passed Woolworth, and we turned that corner, and um, somebody threw a knife. Fortunately, it didn't, uh, you know, cut anybody, but it came right by my foot. And as soon as we turned that, there were anti-football players. I heard, bam, bam, bam. So, <laughs> so um, it wasn't completely 100% non-violent. <laughs> <laughs> I would worry about two banks because the football team won. <laughs> I would make think about that. But really, our eyes were really on the prize. I, we were really determined that we were going to do this, and I wasn't too worried. Now, my mother was, and um, our families, a lot of our families were. They thought we'd get hurt, but I don't remember feeling that kind of fear. Okay, okay I, I didn't either. Let me cross my legs. I can't cross, but I just had a knee replacement class. Class. <laughs> but uh, all I could think about was my children and my children's children. That was my thought. That was my main thing that I was thinking about. Yes, there was a little anxiety there, but my thought, I don't want my children to get this. I don't want them to have to do this. So this is where I kept my eye on the prize. Not, I didn't think about it uh, too much about my personal safety. I grew up in, in Asheville, and Asheville, like Greensboro, was a segregated town. Uh, but the guys, that, the people that I grew up around, uh, we were athletic. 
And so we were always looking for a game. And so we we would go to ball fields that were supposedly all white uh, ball fields, and we would play ball. Uh, we would take over basketball courts, you know, tennis courts. Uh, and so coming to Woolworth was taking it over and making a, making a part of us uh, as as it should, you know, the community as it should be. So no, I didn't I didn't have any. Uh, uh, in the field. I came with my roommate, uh, Donald Lyons, who was from Washington, uh, D.C. And incidentally, you, you mentioned Dr. Simpkins and the, the suit against the uh, home hospital. Well, Donald Lyons was the only non-medical plaintiff in that lawsuit. Yeah. So no, we I didn't have any particular There is a, uh, a piece from CBS News UK in, in, in uh, April when we that first week of the uh, the sit-ins, and I'm in the in the crowd at Woolworths, and you can see someone coming and pushing and shoving me in in the crowd. But no, we I didn't have any particular yeah. Rodney, I didn't realize what I had done until I had been arrested. I was at S and W, mm. and I was arrested because they came and asked, "You all cannot sit here and eat. We will not serve you." And we continue to sit. We, you cannot sit here. Did I say you cannot sit here? And we continue to sit. They got the manager, and the manager came. He said, you cannot continue to sit here. Do we are calling the police. We continue to sit there. Finally, here come the police. And I said, am I going to be arrested? <laughs> and they did take all of us. Pat Patterson went with us. And then they put us in the paddy wagon and drove us downtown until someplace all of us were there. And then there were so many of us that were arrested. They carried us to the polio hospital. That's something I'll never forget. That was awesome. It was awesome now because I remember they were still all around the road, uh, the walls. There were the braces, no sheets on the bed. There were plastics there, there. We slept in whirlpools. We took turns sleeping in the beds. No sheets. We sang all night. We shall overcome. We just kept singing. The toilets got stopped up. We just kept singing. And I think the prisoners were the ones that brought us breakfast and fed us. The community brought food. But I'll never forget that. That was all. That's just like it happened yesterday. And Dr. Player brought food. Dr. Player. And your homework. <laughs> well, I just wanted to say that I think that we were a little foolish in our thoughts about our fear of participating because we were young. We, or some of us were afraid, but for most of us being in Bells, our parents did not know about our participation. Right, right. <laughs> so that was the thing that kind of saved us. I know I did not tell my mother until I went home for the summer. And of course she said, I did not send you down there to do that. You were supposed to be going for your education. And I said, yes, mother. Yes, mother. But I 
I was not afraid. I don't know why. I wasn't either. And I didn't realize what I had done until I had been arrested. And then I had to think about, this is what you have done. This is all the work that you have done. But my father did keep his job. Mr. Brandon, you want to chime in? Then we'll take a few more questions, then we'll start some Q&A. Well, a, a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, uh, we mentioned the, the, the uh, sit-in, uh, the demonstration where people sat in the street uh, at the corner of what is it called? Uh, what is it called? Uh, no. Uh, square. square. Jefferson, Jefferson Square. This, this, this took place. Uh, Summer '63. Yeah, this took place on June fifth, uh, uh, after the arrest of, of, of Jesse uh, for previous demonstrations the night before, where the police uh, police station was on Green Street uh, across from Elon College uh, Law School, and we we sat that night. Uh, in the street. It was the first time that the marchers weren't solid. Up until that point, we would just leave Providence or Hayes-Teller and walk down Market Street, come cross over and then go back down the other side. But on the night of the, the night of the 4th, we came downtown and we began to weave in and out of the downtown area. And this was the first time we had not informed uh, the police Captain uh, Jackson, that what of our intentions, and so we moved around and we ended up in front of the uh, police station, and we asked everybody to sit in the street. And when they got the police got ready to move in, we asked Jesse to pray. Now Jesse had came to the movement late. Um, it was in May when he really got involved in it, uh, and as a picture of he and. Uh, James McMillan, the, the uh, instructor from the, art, the chairman of the art department at Bennett, and Dr. Eliza, the three of them are coming up uh, East Market Street. But Jess, Jess was arrested uh, the next day. Uh, they called and said that they had a warrant for his arrest for inciting to riot. <laughs> so uh, we uh, got Jesse, he was at, uh, at his corpus. House, who was the PR person at ENT. Uh, we had staged, we had a, a big rally at, at uh, the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer. We had called the news media. And then after the rally, so we called uh, Captain Jackson. And so you can see this picture. There's a picture of him uh, coming to get Jesse. He wouldn't come into church. He came in. You see Captain Jackson kind of moving back. And then there's another picture of him and Jesse walking. Well, that night, um, I don't know, maybe 3,000 people in the streets. And we came downtown and at Jefferson Square. And you, these, there are pictures there. You can see people just sit down. And uh, and the, the mayor, who's uh, David Shank, who refused to talk to us at, at any point during that whole process, the next day, big headlines in Greensboro Data News and calling people and asking them to uh, open up. And that uh, really ended the uh, demonstrations in Greensboro. I think that too, also, because there were so many people at the Polio Hospital and at the Armory, they couldn't control what was happening. 
And this too was a, together. Yeah. This is when they decided to open up because they could not handle all of the people that were at the Armory and in the polio hospital and other areas that they had us in, uh, in jail. As a public um, uh, official, one of the things I'll say is Greensboro didn't beat its people. We didn't, didn't turn water hoses on people or dogs. And as bad as it was, and as bad as the administration was, that bit of civility and um, did not, it was, was wonderful. So I'm going to give credit where credit is due. Yes, indeed. So uh, I'm glad we didn't have that as a part of our history. And really quick, can I grab your book? Can I grab it? Uh, Dr. Brown couldn't be here, Dr. Linda Brown, but she penned this book, Bells of Liberty. If you can, check it out. She was, uh, she's her classmate. Dr. Player was the first female African-American or the first African-American of a four-year institution. Female. First female president of a four-year institution. And that was her aunt. And this was her aunt. All right, so she's lived on campus with her aunt. Uh, but she has this book, wonderful book. Check it out if you can. And uh, so I'm going to get a couple more questions in here so we can get some Q&A. Well, since you're talking about books, yeah. uh, if you have not read Civilities and Civil Rights by William, William Chay. Yeah. William C-H-A-M-E. Yeah. William Chay. It's, it's on Greensboro. Mm -hmm. Wonderful book. Um, and I want to start some fighting here now, but Benny Bells. How do you feel that I'm talking about the 1960? Well, all of them really. That the men got all of the recognition and the women didn't. That was that was <laughs> that was the way it was. I mean, got recognition. Um, you know, if you think about the whole history of women in this country and, and voting and all kinds of things, it's not surprising that the men got center uh, stage. The administration was all men of the city of Greensboro. So um, it's time to correct it. All right. It's, it's time to tell and I just want to say, I'm so glad that one of our Bennett Bells and my sorrow, Yvonne, has represented us well in the city. She was also, I was also in school with her. I was in school with uh, David Richmond and Ezell. David Richmond's sister, uh, my fellow Richmond is still alive now, but she lives out there by the TV station. Uh, my fellow Richmond, Jean and um, Blair and uh, Sheila are still here. And I think they should get some recognition too. And Jean's a Bennett Bell. She's a Bennett Bell. <laughs> but some things have not been told. And one thing I had told Anthony, I said, you know what? I would love to see all of the people in Greensboro to come together somewhere and show, if they're still alive, just show how we all participated because there are only a few that have been recognized. 
And there are many in Greensboro that went to jail and really did the real thing. So out somewhere along the line, maybe Lewis can do it. He's our, he's our Bennett Bell brother. <laughs> well, there's one correction I need I need to make, and I've been trying to do this with the newspaper and, and other people. Uh, when, when we talk about the real leadership, Jesse Jackson, as as much as he's done and did for the movement, was not the student leader. Or he was not the SGA president in AT in 1963. It was Ezell Blair Jr. Right. So Jesse became the president of student body at Devitt in 1964. But the paper and other people who write still make still list him as being the leader, the SGA leader for 1963, and that was not true. You mean of Antique? Oh, of Antique. And I also just want to state that Ezell Blair was a part of our committee at Bennett. And we also had um, Frank McCain, who was dating a Bennett Bell. And married a Bennett Bell. Um, so we feel that we have been neglected, but we're not deterred. We are ready to tell our story, and it part of it be, has begun in here, has begun in, in this book, and as we have these kinds of events, we can share our story, because I mentor Bennett's Fresh Women, and I like to tell them, and also the upper-class students, if you do not stand up for something, you'll fall for anything. And what are you going to do? The map has been set up. You have plenty of people that you can consult. Everything is everything in this day and time. Things are so fleeting. We must remind ourselves and others what we are capable of as a people. Because one of the things I tell business students about black history, I got my black history from my grandmother who had a third grade education. And it was added to once I got to Bennett. And I often remind black young people, just think of that traffic light out there. That was a discovery of a black person, Garrett Morgan. And there's so many other things that you need to know about us that will make you fulfilled, proud. And we have got, as older people, we've got to help you know that, achieve that, and be that. But I just want to give you a little side story. I met my first husband during the city. <laughs> <laughs> on the picket line. <laughs> That's a funny story. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to end it with this, then we're going to take some Q&A. And in Dudley High School, I need y'all to ask one, two questions, okay? And uh, Miss Roseboro brought them over here. As soon as I let her know we were doing this, she brought 16 of her Dudley Panthers over here. <laughs> 
last question that I before we kick out of here, and y'all can keep it to 60 seconds in your response. That went through Let security. me speak one thing, say one thing. Go ahead. All of us are in here. We have a responsibility. We have another chapter to write. I still tutor students in the Gifford County Schools. I, I retired in 95, but I never stopped working with the students here in Greensboro. It is our responsibility for each one of us, if each one of us in here could reach out and reach out and one of our students, help them to know that Greensboro is a great place. Help them to know that they have another chapter to write in this book. I would be very grateful for that. Don't ever forget that we have people that are back. Reach back. Yes. Help our kids. Greensboro has a great school system. They need your help. We were behind with COVID. Reach back. Go back and help these students. Tutor these students. Any way that you can give help. I'm for Greensboro because I live here. I went to Washington Street, Lincoln, Dudley, Bennett, and Masters at Agnes. So I'm an Aggie and I'm a Bennett there. <laughs> You answered my last question. I'm good. I don't have to ask that, but let me ask you this. With the work that you did over 60 years ago, did the outcome turn out to be what you expected? Can I get 60 seconds from each of you? Mr. Brandon. In, in part, I still work with an organization called the Beloved Community Center of Greensboro. And what y'all got going on coming up? You got something coming up? Yes, we are planning a uh, truth and Reconciliation uh, Summit. We did the first Truth and Reconciliation Commission in the United States uh, around the event that happened in uh, 1979, the Greensboro Massacre. And so we're meeting uh, April the 4th, I mean, I'm sorry, October 4th through the 8th here in Greensboro. People across the state are coming. They are saying, you know, we got people ask me, so how do you know all the streets in Greensboro? Well, I walked all the streets trying to register people. In Guilford County. And we, you know, our rights are being threatened. Voting rights are being threatened. So, you know, we we come so far, but we still got to do some things to protect. And you see this here? Young folk, old folk, y'all got to vote. Yes. You can't change anything in this, in this area if you don't vote. Only way you're going to shut Trump up is vote. Yeah. Right. 60 uh, has the outcome what you expect? Or would you like to see something else? Well, i just like to see the involvement of all people, uh, young, middle-aged, and older people, um, because I find myself still learning a whole lot of stuff about this city, about this city, this world. And learning is a never-ending process, and we have to make sure that it continues. I think, you know, like Lewis, in large part, many things were done, many things that were awful were stamped out. And, but that doesn't mean that there are still things on the agenda that need to be stamped out. And one of the biggest things for me is economic equity. And um, that that is something that I'm concerned about and work on with you and uh, as well. So um, I think there are a lot of things we have to do, but many things are much better. Uh, and thank God for that.
Miss Wilson. Talk real loud. All I can say, everyone in here has a responsibility. Reach back. Go to our younger kids. We know the crime that's going on in Greensboro. You have something to give. God gave us gifts. Use those gifts. I don't care how old you are. I tell people, I'm not old. I'm just Caesar. <laughs> so you're not old. You are just Caesar. And you can still reach back and help everyone. Go back into those classrooms. That's where we need you. Because we're going to have to start down here. Not sixth grade, but kindergarten. Because it's a different age now. It's a different year. And we have a responsibility. If we don't do this, we have lost our responsibilities. We've lost everything. And these people are the future. And you will never know when you're in the hospital. I was in the hospital April, uh, August the 10th. I saw some of my students that came in there. And they said, hey, Miss BJ. I said, girl, what? Who did you work here? So you don't never know who may be looking after you. So that's why you have to give a helping hand to reach back. And I love every last one of you. And I'm looking at you. Maybe that promise, hold your hand up. Me and church, hold your hand up. Hold your hand up. Reach back and help these young people. They need you. They need you. Don't sit back. They need you. That's all I have to say, Mr. Rodney. I'm finished for the day. <laughs> I don't think Betty Jo Wilson is ever done. She mentioned it during the podcast. She's leaving the legacy to her family about the civil rights activism and just working to make um, this world a better place for others, and particularly our young folks. She's a former educator. I'm a former educator. There were so many educators on that panel and in that audience. It was a wonderful environment. History Notes live on location at Triad Stage for the upcoming play Rebellious, written by a North Carolinian, a fictional play about four Bennett Bells and their participation in the sit-in movements in the 1960s here in Greensboro. We had Betty Jo Wilson joined by Yvonne Johnson, Rosalind Smith, and Louis Brandon joined us as well, and wonderful people in the audience. Uh, some D9 organizations representing the Ever Achievers, uh, GCCRP, just everyone turned out. It's a great occasion. Uh, I was overjoyed by the whole experience. And um, we can't forget the ANT4 uh, who worked alongside with the Bennett Bells and the local core chapter and the students at Lincoln Junior High and Dudley High School, the Panthers. But Ezell Blair Jr., uh, now known as Jabril Kazan, Franklin McCain, Joseph McNeil, and David Richmond as they walked downtown and set in a whites only lunch counter at Woolworths, which is a museum itself now, the International Civil Rights Museum, located in downtown Greensboro. So visit there to learn more. And also, the counter is here at the Greensboro History Museum. Uh, that counter is located in three places. The largest section is at the International Civil Rights Museum. And we also have a section at the Greensboro History Museum. And then there's a section at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. So if you get up there, check that out as well wonderful time and don't forget you too can be an educator in whatever field whatever endeavor you choose just be inspired by these wonderful people it was the bells of history we recorded it live at triad stage uh, but their lessons 
will live on forever. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rodney Dawson, and this has been History Notes.